Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Alex Merrill. Welcome to the Inspirati. I've enlisted a roster of ultra-talented international creators and curators to join me on this podcast to talk about how they've charted their individual paths, overcome challenges, and found their true artistic selves. From candid conversations with eminent makers to showcasing exciting up-and-comers across the industries of art, music, fashion, entertainment, literature, and design, we get to illuminate our perspectives, learning from these unique stars within the constellation of global creativity. The Inspirati was created for those seeking inspiration and those seeking to inspire. Thanks for listening. Tremaine Emery is a boundlessly talented jack of all creative trades, born in Atlanta, Georgia, and raised in Queens, New York. His interest in culture was there from the beginning, nurtured by curious parents, evident in his dad's advice when he was 10 to write his name on his jeans, and Tremaine's decision at the age of six to name their new calico cat, Fashion. Following a lengthy tenure at Marc Jacobs, a chance encounter involving a cigar led Tremaine to become one half of creative collective No Vacancy Inn, throwing lead legendary parties at Tom Sachs exhibition spaces and designing exclusive t-shirts for Dover Street Market. At a dinner in London, an inside joke about a beat-up pair of jeans became Denim Tears, a moniker for Tremaine and a lifestyle brand in its own right. Collaborations with Converse and Levi's soon followed, but these projects weren't just about selling Chuck Taylors or 501s. Like everything he does, Tremaine's work with bigger brands has aimed to open up a dialogue about the Black experience. His Levi's collection explores the history of slavery by examining cotton through a different lens. His take on the classic Converse Chuck features an evolution of artist Marcus Garvey's red, black, and green Pan-African flag in celebration of the civil rights movement and the identity of African Americans through history. As Virgil Abloh says, Tremaine is drawing parallels with actual moments in culture that are 30, 40, 50 years deeper and ultimately recontextualizing the black image. His clothing won't simply be stuff for the closet. Tremaine at heart is a storyteller and a change maker. He has served as a nurturer of talent across the industries of fashion, music, culture, and art, working with the likes of Frank Ocean, Stussy, ASAP Rocky, Virgil's label Off-White, and Kanye West, who entrusted Tremaine with the role of creative consultant and brand director of Yeezy from 2016 to 2018, calling him a creative gardener. 
But Tremaine also created an essay contest about reparations for teenagers to win a free pair of sneakers from his New Balance partnership. He diverted big brand marketing dollars dedicated to promote his collection to a voting campaign in the last election. And rather than focusing on any one area of activism, he hopes to create a conversation and visibility for all those who faced oppression and hold his powerful collaborators accountable to use their resources for real, lasting change. Tremaine is quick to give credit to those who've served as mentors, aware that it is only in his capacity to learn that he is able to teach. His perspective serves as a reminder that we should never doubt the potential impact of an individual, that where we're from is just as important as where we're going, and that sometimes the best things really do happen after 10 p.m. Please enjoy. You're such a a dynamic creator. Your thinking is so out of the box and you're constantly bringing the worlds of fashion and culture and art together, but also across generations and across the world. I'm so curious about how those beautiful mental pathways were formed. What are, what are your parents like? My parents, good, really good people. Yeah. Very, very lucky um, to have parents, have and had parents the way they are. Just funny smart in a way radical for they come from a very small even though the town they come from great people come from a very small town in a called Harlem Georgia mm-hmm. both sides of my family are from this town yeah Tracy and Sherlin just smart funny people that basically spent their whole lives uh exposing their kids so much as the world that they could with the tools you know tools they had so we had a lot of fun in New York because we moved to New York last two months mm-hmm. old because my dad got a job there at CBS. And um, yeah, so it's just a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, a lot of always doing something fun on the weekends, uh, whether it's fishing or going to a museum or going to the flicks, you know? So yeah, that was my childhood mainly. Yeah, my mom's like, you know, bookshelf, James Baldwin and Andy Warhol diaries and just cool, cool, cool people. Curious people. Yeah. Curious. They were not satisfied with whatever their world that they were born into gave them. And they appreciate, learned, learned all the good things from their world, but then also went, fought to find more good things for themselves and to share with the family. So you got an early example of pushing the boundaries of what you're born into and checking out the world past that threshold. Yeah. My dad, I grew up, my dad telling me everything's an art. There's an art to brushing your teeth. I can hear him saying it. Mm. Everything's an art. Every job is important. I remember him saying, why don't you put your own, like, this is like, I'm 10 years old, 12 years old. Like, <laughs> I had on some Tommy Hilfiger jeans or whatever. And he's like, why don't you put your name on your jeans? You know, just like in a joking way, but serious. And I can imagine that's so consciously formed in my mind. Did either of them have a creative practice or was it just immersing themselves in the arts and literature? My dad, the TV news, was, is a retired TV news cameraman, Emmy award winning. Wow. Traveled the world, so he's the guy you see hopping out the news van. But at the time he joined CBS was um, a very opportune time. So the biggest news market in the world was New York News, and you know they had big budgets and stuff. So not only would you cover the local news, you would um, go do the Super Bowl, you know, he or go go do. I remember he went to Africa with um, Mayor Dinkins, who's the first and only black mayor of New York City, and they wow. went to, they went to Africa. But before they went to Africa, they met the Pope, and they went with the Pope. And then 
to meet Nelson Mandela. So just he's got a Damn. Million, he's got like amazing stories like that, and he's got horror stories too because you know you're covering all kinds of good and the bad. You you are covering the scope of the human condition. You work in TV news business, and so a lot of stories and and um, a lot of parables were taught were told to us. My mom, you know. Unfortunately, she's from the era where women sacrificed everything when they should, shouldn't have. And they should have had an equal stab at having a career. Yeah. And the men and women should have split the time to raising the kids between them. So, you know, my mom was a straight A student, but she, you know, she unfortunately was born in that time period where women were expected to make that sacrifice. But with that said, probably the hardest and most creative job in the world is being a mother and managing a family. So, you know, I always liking my mom. My mom is like, was Phil Jackson managing <laughs> three boys and a husband. And, you know, my mom always had us around great stuff. Even I remember like, remember my mom, cause my mom passed away six years ago. It'd be a uh, six year, February 18th. But um, I remember I went to go see the Pavarotti film last year. So I called my dad and we're talking and he's like, Oh, what'd you do? I'm like, I went to go see the Pavarotti documentary. He's like, I said, dad, you know, I'm going to see it. And he's like, why? He's like, remember you and mom took me to go see Pavarotti in the, in the um, Central Park? Whoa. From the Harlem Boys Choir. So, you know, she was always in, reading the newspaper and up on everything. Like, yeah. like one of my favorite funny stories is, so I used to work for Mark Jacobs. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you were the top sales associate, when I lived in London, I was the top sales associate. If you're the month before the fashion show, if you're the top sales associate, they fly you out to the show. And they fly out the top sales associate in the the managers for the buy. So I was top sales. They flew me out. It was my first time coming back to New York post moving to London. And um, the standard had just opened and I was staying at the standard. So it was pretty, you know, it was fun. I extended my trip so I could hang out with my family for a couple of days. So they had me booked in the standard for like one or two nights. So then I came back to um, Queens, stay there. And my mom was like sitting, she's like, what'd you do last night? She's like, you was at the boom, boom room. So my mom is like, at this point, she's like 50. How she know about the boom boom? Right. She doesn't have friends like with her or whatever, but she knows that she's reading the what's going on section in the paper, nightlife section. She's always up on everything. So I, I, I died laughing. She's like, was you at the boom boom room? I was like, yeah, I was, mom. She's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She knows exactly where to find you. Yeah. No, yeah, straight up. <laughs> She knew, her, she knew her son. What was it like growing up in Queens? What was the community like there? It was an adventure, you know, like uh, the first nine years we lived in Flushing, Queens. And I was interested in it was, you know, it actually was a mixed community. It just wasn't any Black people really, but it was Korean, um, Hispanic, and, um, you know, a lot of Irish people, a lot of Italian people. I remember my my, my elementary school was like three Black kids, Jakeem, Monique, and myself. But it was cool. And then um, it was interesting. And then my parents couldn't afford a house in that neighborhood. So we moved to uh, Northside, Jamaica, Queens, St. Albans, which is a um, super historic neighborhood. But it was reeling from it was about the tail end of the crack epidemic in New York City. Okay. You know, maybe 94, 93 when I moved there. 90, 92, 93. So it's like the tail end, kind of the tail end the crack epidemic. So the neighborhood had changed drastically. And um, it was an adventure. It was kind of like Sandlot, you know, the movie Sandlot. Mm-hmm. So it's like Sandlot meets Boys in the Hood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like always an air of danger. Mm-hmm. 
but there was also just fun. It was fun, man. Like a lot of people making music, you know, Tribe Called Quest is from my neighborhood. Hello, Cool is from a few blocks down from me. Like um, I remember DJ Clue. I used to get my hair cut same place where my, my barber cut DJ Clue. So much history around there, current and past. Because um, we're right near Hollis, Queens, where Run DMC and them was from. So much history. And like just my street, Keysville. Um, and that's why I say it's the Sandlot. There's so many, so many dudes and, and girls too. And it's around the same same age bracket. And we all just, you know, hung out all the time, played, you know, played sports, played basketball all the time. I used to have a hoop, I used to bring the hoop out. So it was an adventure and fun, but then, you know, a lot of um tragedy too, and that I saw. It was interesting because my parents was like, they're giving me enough rope, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, I think they did a great job of that because it was like, they weren't like, you can't go outside. But my dad was very clear about navigating the streets, uh, navigating police, yeah, navigating everything, you know? But also they trusted me too to make the best decisions for myself and for my family and stuff. So um, it was interesting, man. And um, I wouldn't change it. If I could, I would change some of the, people we lost to gun violence and uh, um, like people caught up doing illegal things, things that are, you know, funny, like uh, a lot of friends that got locked up for like selling weed and it's like, it's legal in LA, you know? Yeah. So people still in jail. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird when you live long enough to see yeah. things change that much. It's not. And even what you, what you were saying about your mom, it's like women staying home to be with kids. That's recent. Yeah. Like none of this stuff is a long time ago. It's funny. I was, it is interesting. It's like you watch that Netflix special about Fran Leibovitz. Yes. Oh, I have the biggest cr- girl crush on her. Like yeah. I watched the first one she did with Scorsese for HBO yeah. ages ago. And yeah, she's she's amazing. Yeah, she's cool. But she talks about what she just touched on. Like she was talking about, you know, this new women rights movement, yeah. um, Me Too movement. And basically said the same thing. She's like things just literally changed last week because she's like, you know, she's older. She's almost in her 70s. She's like, I've seen this stuff, women going through this shit for, you know, since I was a little girl. Yeah. So, yeah, it's wild. It's like, it's unfortunate changes that slow for all of us that women, people of color, LGBT community, the change, unfortunately, the change is slow, but, um, yeah. But that special is incredible. She's in, she's so funny. She's so funny. And pretend it's a city. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That first line, that got me because I lived in New York for six, seven years. And I get why people sometimes have like an issue with New Yorkers, because when you live there, you're always late. You're always trying to get somewhere. And there's always like seven people taking selfies between you and the train you have to yeah, catch. You know, you know, I'm like. <laughs> No, she she explains it to a T. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you know, and then I think, like, because of just my own curiosity and, you know, my parents always broadening our horizons, once I was old enough, I started going to the city on my own. Yeah. I remember, like, a lot of my friends would adventure out with me, and I started hanging out in the city. So then I was splitting my time between Jamaica, Queens, and um, and downtown New York. What do you think was their reason for not venturing out? I think fear, you know, like um, fear and also not feeling accepted, mm-hmm. you know, by larger society. Like I know I, I remember specifically my friend Wuzzy was like, they don't, you know, like they don't want us there. White people don't want us there. I don't feel like getting followed in the store where how I was raised was like, my dad's like, someone follows you in the store. You're not stealing them. They're just wasting their time. Not <clears throat> not saying it's not wrong and it shouldn't be addressed and it should happen profiling. But at that time, 
I knew even though I had to deal, there would be some bullshit I might have to deal with. There was things for there for me that are fine. Yeah. You know, there's things that weren't in, in, in Foreman's Boulevard that I needed to seek out. So that was kind of my first call, call to the outside world was going to downtown New York and, you know, going down there, pick up a village voice on Wednesdays, see what's going on, what shows are going on, what shows are happening at SOB, hanging out at Union New York, going to Newark, all the places, just window shopping, window shopping, window shopping, window shopping. Yeah, walking in furniture stores and, you know, I loved it, man. And then, you know, eating, I love, you know, New York, to me, New York and Japan are the best places for food, you know, because there's so much different stuff, high quality. Yeah, you don't last long in New York if you're not making something really delicious. No, yeah, you just, the place can't, it's going to just shut down. Yeah. What was your relationship like with fashion at that point? I mean, you were getting advice to write your name on jeans, but were you starting to pay attention to that, like within your community and then the shift with when you went into the city? i tell you a funny story. So when I was in first grade, so I'm six years old, there was this pet store and my dad and mom were like, do you guys, I mean, to me and my older brother, trial, do you guys want a cat? Cats. So we each got a cat. And then we got the cat. I picked her out. She was the calico. So calicos, if you know, they have all the stripes and patches and stuff like patchwork. And so my brother got a black and white cat and he named her Silence. That's deep. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. And then um, he's nine years older than me. So, so you yeah. He was doing like a harsh poetry class at that moment and was like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Dickerson, Bukowski, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And then my parents were like, what are you going to name the cat? And I was like, fashion. Looks like one of mom's clothes or something in one of mom's magazines. I always been into style. Mom always, you know, she had us in like, they weren't even called vintage stores, really. It was like antique stores. Yeah. They have antiques and have clothing too. Always going to Goodwill and. Yeah, always just been in the clothes, always been in the stuff, always been in the clothes, been in the style since forever, paying attention to it, paying attention to movies, paying attention to magazines, paying attention, well, most importantly, paying attention to people like how the guy at the gas station wore his overalls or, mm. you know, just paying, always paying attention to style and both my parents had great style. And New York, you're sitting in the cross section of so many different yeah. cultures and vibes and eras and yeah. All of that. It's a it's a pretty fertile ground for that kind of broadening of perspective. Yeah. You know, always going in Bergdorf, window shopping, Saks, Barney's, third floor. When he managed to be on the third floor, always going to Mark Jacobs back in the day. Was this in high school or after or? In like late 90s okay. and early, early 2000s. Yeah. This is like high school. But yeah, yeah. And what did you do after high school? Did you start, did so you start working? After high school, I went to... um. LaGuardia Community College. Okay. Did, hung out there, mainly in the atrium, for like a year and a half. <laughs> right in school. Um, That's more than I ever did. So well done. <laughs> I just I was taking film and I was interning at CBS, and I didn't want to do my dad's job. I was like, great job. I don't want to like put a camera in like someone's face and they just lost a family member. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a big part of that job. Yeah, school. I was just like. I really want to do film. I can save my parents some money and myself some money. Because that's why I was going to go to SUNY Purchase, but I was just like, this is too expensive. Even back when I was like... Like you can start a brand with the money that you put into college. Yeah. That's why I left school and I just... um, I was working while I was in school, working at FedEx, loading the trucks at night in Massive, New York. 
and then like the long 18 wheelers, wheelers loading them up. That's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A joke. And then um, after that, I got a job at J. Crew doing sales. That was your first job in fashion? Yeah. Worked there, then left there. Then I started doing stock work at um, Helena Rubenstein Cosmetic Company at Saks and Bergdorf, which is great because I got the discount. <laughs> then I went and worked at Kate Spade. Okay. Doing stock there. And then um got the job at Mark Jacobs, like 2006. And I started off as a stock guy. Then a year later, became sales. Then a few years later, they moved me and like um, my ex-girlfriend, who also worked for Mark Jacobs. They moved us both to London as a couple. Wow. Yeah. I went to do sales at the collection store in, on Mount Street. And she was manager of the Mark by Mark store. Okay. It was on the street and then lived in London for almost eight years. Amazing. Mark was always such a trailblazer in the creatives he embraced and collaborated with, like from the very beginning. Did that feel like a really exciting place to be working for that period? Utterly. It was amazing. Yeah. Mark and Robert, um, you know, Robert Duffy hired me. Okay. He was the, he was the president of the company. You know, him and Mark were business partners from 1984 up until like this year, yeah. um, I think. So, yeah, it was great, man. It was, uh, you know, I remember Robert hired me. He said, he looked at my resume and he was like, oh, you worked at Bergdorf? That was my first job um, in New York. You're hired. And then he's like, you're hired. And he threw my, threw my resume in the air. And he's like, you joined, he's like you, joined the, you joined the company at an opportune time. There's a lot of opportunity, but I'm going to work you really hard. There's a lot of opportunity. And he never lied to me. And it was a great place to work. Robert was great. Mark was great. The most quality I've ever seen mm. at that time in fashion. All types of people. Yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, and, I, and it was just great. You know, as we were doing advanced collabs and all that stuff, it was dope. And he was at Louis too at the same time. So right. it was incredible to be working in the store. It was fun, man. It was fun. So you start off working in the West Village, the Mark Bourbonk women's store. Yeah. Fun, Probably man. a big switch after J. Crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't in that whole vibe. Wasn't missing it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You know, you could totally be yourself there from how you looked to how your hair, you know, trans people worked there, uh, everyone, people from the hood. Yeah. Rich kids, trust fund babies worked there, dudes from the hood, you know, all socioeconomic things were there. That's like the best of New York, though. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but it was. It wasn't like anywhere else, you know. And customers, you always comment on it. They just hired cool people. Yeah, cool people. Everyone wasn't stick thin, you know. It, it was just they hired all types of cool, interesting people. Um, I'm friends with a bunch of people still, several people, and that's a long time ago. It was like 16 years ago when I started. I'm still friends with people from there. Currently making some art, some stuff with my man James, who I met. At um, Mark Jacobs, sixteen, yeah, two thousand six. So I'm forever so lucky that you know got that job, and you know I did the interviews, but you know my ex girlfriend, she got Hadara, she got me the um, the interview. So forever thankful to her for a lot of things, but thankful for getting that interview. It changed my life. My life would be very different. I don't know how it'd be, it'd be different if I never worked there. Yeah, it's a smart way to to run a company it's kind of interesting that it seems so radical now in retrospect because it's like yeah. if you're not doing that and pulling inspiration from all different walks of life you end up in this really bland echo chamber of like your own perspective yeah homogenous echo chamber yeah totally yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you're um, not exposing yourself to all of that. Yeah. So then you moved to London. Yeah, they moved us. They moved us to London in 2000. And remember, February 11th, 2010. What did that feel like? Was that the first time living out of the states? First time on a plane out of the states. Amazing. First time having a passport. First person to live overseas in my family that wasn't in the military. Wow. So it was uh, surreal. Yeah. You know. Because the only people I, where I grew up, only people I knew that went to Europe were like someone who didn't, was really good at basketball, but didn't make it to the NBA or like people that are in the military. You know, no one was like going to visit like, oh, I just, you know, came back from Paris or something. Zero, zero percent. So it was good. It was emotional at the time. I said yes immediately. Mm-hmm. But I remember the going away party saying goodbye to my parents it was emotional. I didn't know it was going to be that emotional. Yeah. Had your mom been to Europe before? Like, was this groundbreaking within your family? No, uh, she never. Um, yeah, she never. She never made it. Yeah. But you know, definitely travel for the both. Travel for the both of us. You've made up all that ground. Yeah. Even if it was to the boom boom room. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. High and low. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So then, so then you were in London and you, was that when you started doing creative consulting and opening things up with your own creative world? So you familiar with this, um, there's this guy named Joseph Campbell. He's a theologist and a philosopher. And he had this very famous PBS special called the power of myth. Okay. And one of the things, his whole thing is connecting all the religions, Yeah. but also another book he wrote called the heroes, the hero's journey. Hero with a That's the one I've heard. And his whole thing is like the human experience. Those who answer the call, you, 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 you live in your world. My world was Jamaica, Queens, mm-hmm. and Georgia. I spent the summers there, New York. And then people get a call. It's not, I'm a hero. Everyone, you get a call and you don't know what it might be. It might be, it might be going to the military. It might be becoming a violinist, whatever, or learning to be a plumber. You know what? It could be having a kid, whatever. And there's a call that you answer. And it says on that, on that journey, you meet, you meet a mentor. So uh, I met this guy who became one of my best friends, um, still is, A-Side. And um, that's who I started New Vegas in with. Right. Around late 2010, we ran into each other at this party in London, a Nike party. He used to do global energy marketing for Nike. And he left to go pursue his music career, which he had started before he got the job. And he stopped it to go do the job. So he had this Pretty cushy, amazing, cool, travel around the world, free sneakers, great job doing all, working on all these projects, you know, like he worked on the Yeezys, you know, the first Yeezys, well, yeah, you know, he worked, he was a part of that. So um, he, he left all that. And then, so I ran into him at this party and the reason we started talking, cause he was smoking a cigar. I didn't really meet people in my age bracket that smoked cigars at the time. So I went up to him and I started talking. So they, yo, you, you smoke cigars. I, I love cigars too. He's like, yeah, I just came back from a trip in Cuba and I've been smoking, you know, smoking them ever since. And he gave me a cigar and then we like talked that night and we just kicked it. And then um, he just um, hit me. You always hit me up. And it's funny, he would invite me to these parties. And I think he was getting a, him and this guy, Reggie Yates, who did these parties called Trading Places, one of the bigger, bigger parties in um, London. And he would invite me, but he, he took down my email wrong. So he'd see me in the streets, but like, yo, why are you coming to my party? I was like, I would love to come. I was like, I want to go to this party. And he's like, and then I was like, what email you got? And then I saw it. And I was like, he had like trimmery instead of T-emery. <laughs> like 
he had tr- like he had it wrong right aim wrong in it and then um hit me up and then like i remember one time we um hit me up just to come hang out at his crib we just listen to music talk and we just clicked and just became friends and then like maybe a year or two into the friendship he was like because he's an incredible he's he's one of my favorite djs like mm. him benji b clark kent dj harvey venus x i have a lot of favorite, but did, like He's one of my favorite DJs I've ever heard in my life. He's incredible. And he was just like, yo, I feel like if I DJ and you host, it'll be good. I'm like, I'm down. So we started, because there was this place called Monero's. It was open late from like 10 to like 5.30 in the morning. And I was a very late license for London. Most places closed at two. It was like this in East London, little basement. And we had one record player in the beginning. And he'd come in there with his records. And I'd invite people and host you know, give certain people free drinks and, you know, make sure people get in and invite the right people. That's how we started, man. And um, we split a hundred pounds. I remember we'd be there from like 12 to 5.30 and I'd be at work at 9.30 on a Saturday called Midnight at Monero's. It was every Friday. And we did that for a while. As a nightlife, it always goes sour with the owners or whatever. Always. So we did that. And then another mentor and friend, good friend, Serge Becker. Mm creative director, art director. You know, he started off as art directing at Arena, legendary club in New, in New York, legendary. He's done so much stuff. And then uh, he does Miss Lily's. He's actually creative director of the Sex Museum currently, owns Miss Lily's. Serge is like, he's like Yoda of culture. <laughs> he's like a cultural engineer, yeah. you know. I knew his business partner because his business partner, Gans, is a good friend of mine. He used to be a bar back and bartender at Bungalow 8 in New York back in the day. Mm-hmm. So my other friend, Remy, knew the people there. We'd go to Bungalow 8, and that's how I met him. And then we start, we played basketball together for years in New York. So then the box opened in London, and I went and saw Gans. And, like, we, you know, he'd be in London a lot, and we'd hang out. And so then one time I was in New York, and he's like, you got to meet Serge. You don't know Serge? You got to meet Serge. The Serge is opening up. I wanted to do parties at the box, and they wouldn't let me. Because that's back when they didn't play hip-hop. This is like 2010. We weren't hearing hip-hop in clubs all day. That was another quick switch. Like the moment yeah. that it went from electro to yeah. hip-hop was yeah. so, it was such a clear divide on both sides. Yeah. I was DJing on both sides of that. So I remember yeah. that. It was like... Like it happened in like 2015 or something, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I was, you know, bugging scans. Like, yeah, I want to do a party in the box upstairs in the private room. He's like, yeah, let's think about it. So then I'm in New York and Miss Lily's just, open i'm hanging out there and he's like yo you gotta meet serge he's coming and he's taking forever he's like i know this is annoying i remember i had my ex with me my friends with me and i knew i had to wait for this guy everyone's like Tremaine, what are we I'm like you guys can leave i gotta wait for this guy i didn't know what it would lead to you just had some intuition about it something yeah serge came and then um we talked and clicked and he's like oh i'll hit you up when i'm in london very chill no hype no jive talk. Took my email and lo and behold, he got to London. He emailed me and then he asked me, he said, what music would you play here? And I'm like, well, I don't DJ, but I know some dope DJs. He's like, get some playlists made because he was trying to think what could he have me do there. And then I asked several DJs and the only person that finished did the playlist was A-Side. The first song on it was Donald Fagan. Donald Fagan from Steely Dan was New Frontier. That was the first song on the playlist. And I played it and heard Serge heard the song start bopping and he turned it off. He said, if this is the first song on the playlist, the DJ's hired. You guys are hired. So 
A-Side started DJ, DJ in there, and then I started um, being a um, social director was the role. And it's funny, I remember when I called and told my mom, like, yo, mom, I got this side gig, side of my Jacobs in London. She's like, what's the gig? I said, oh, I'm, I'm a social director for this restaurant bar. And she started laughing. Like, oh. She's like, oh, you're finally getting paid for being a social butterfly. Good. <laughs> funny. i never forget that. So we did La Bodega for a couple of years. Started doing parties at the box. We did some big legendary parties. Was this as no vacancy at this point? No, it's just A-Side and Tremaine. Okay. So we're doing these parties. We tried to design a clothing line years ago, and then we didn't have enough money to produce it. Bodega was kind of the nucleus for what me and A-Side think, because it's like, it's weird how, I'll show you how crazy life works. That's what I'm saying about the hero's journey. So my friend Kyle, he was working for Supreme. He's like the number three or four guy in Supreme. Low-key dude, great dude. He's in town. He's like, yo, me and my man Virgil, are in town. This is 2013, okay. 12. Me and my man Virgil in town because Kanye's got some shows. You know, Virgil Virgil's in town. What's that? What's that bar you 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 um you run? I said oh, it was Bodega. He's like, yo, let's get a drink there. So I'm like, A side, let's go meet these guys. A side, like, oh, Virgil's in town. They've been knowing each other from they work together because Ye used to live in London and Ye Virgil, all those guys work together on the, the Nike project. Okay, because A side helped run the marketing for it. Right. In Europe. This was when Virgil was with Kanye. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, this 2012, 2013. So we go there, kicking it. You know, me and V, like, I remember, I never forget. He's like, yeah, you're from Brooklyn, right? And like, nah, I'm from Queens. You know, so we, we knew each other six degrees, a few people, but we didn't know each other at all. So that night, we had a fun night playing music, just drinks and hanging out. Remember, we went to the box after a fun night. Two things. So I met another very good friend, very special person. He goes, can my friend come? Because it was kind of, we had the door shut. I was like, you can come through. Virgil's very calm and no hype. And so he opened the door and his friend was like, he had this dope jacket. It was a neighborhood jacket. I'm like, oh, it's Frank, Frank Ocean. I'm like, oh, what's up? So Frank comes down. We're all hanging out. We have a great night. And then that week we all hanging out, hanging out all over London. Me, V, Frank, Don, um, Ivan, A-Side, just kicking it. And then I just marked Jacob's dinner. And then V was like, come to, come to the Ye, come to Ye show. It was the Cruel Winter show. He said, come to Ye show. I'm like, oh, I can't, man. I got I got a work dinner. And Robert was in town. And I didn't get to see Robert a lot because I was in London. So I was like, I'm going to miss the show, man. I want to see my guy. And then he's like, well, come on Sunday. But he's like, yo, let's do a party at Bodega. I said, sure. So we set up the party. And then V V's like, he's like, yo, bring an aux court. Make sure you have an aux court. So we do the party. Everyone in London's there. Ye pulls up and he like, remember he played like demos of Jesus. And I remember he played, well, it's the first song off the album that Daft Punk, he produced Daft Punk. So I said to him, I said, yo, this sounds like Daft Punk. He was like, it is. <laughs> Funny dude. So the reason I'm bringing it up is not the name drop, but that cultural petri dish of La Bodega that Serge created, and he allowed me and A-Side to help. Two years later, I'm working as a creative consultant for Frank Ocean. Yeah. You know, Frank hit me up out the blue. We hit, you know, we knew each, we like exchanged info. And then he hit me up out of the blue a year, year or two later, like, yo, you know, few meetings. And then we start working together. Four years after that, I'm working with Ye as a creative consultant. Eventually became brand, brand director of Yeezy, brand director of Yeezy, creative director of um, Good Music. 
Labo digging ain't the only reason that stuff happened for me, but that cultural petridis of music and conversations after 10, 10 p.m. where everyone lets their shoulders down. And even I remember Ye walked in, it was Jane Blake's second record had just came out, the first single off it. You know that song. I don't even remember the name, but you know that song. And, and Asai was playing that as Ye walked in. And Ye was like, what's this? I was like, the new James Blake. He's like, damn, y'all playing that up in here? So many more events and things happened after that. You know, we did the first BOF party with Tom Ford there. You know, just all kinds of stuff. It's nuts. And then I met David Sinatra and um, Fraser A.V. David's the you know CEO of Stussy, Fraser's the brand director. I met them at LeBaron on a Tuesday night. It was empty. Again, just there to hear music with my man Chris. And I was wearing my man Heron Preston's NASCAR shirt. And that's back, that's really before the Graham blue like that. And Heron was working at Nike. I was working at Mark Jacobs. He sent it on Nike's dime, sent it to London. I'm wearing it. And David told me in the future, he said, when I saw you in that shirt, I just figured if you're in London at this spot and you're wearing that shirt, maybe you're someone we need to speak to, but not on some clout shit. Just like, that's how it was back then. Yeah. We had a great weekend, had a great weekend with those guys. And, you know, Fraser's become one of my best friends. Uh, he's an amazing human being. David, too, has become a great, great friend. We connected with those guys. And then six months later, Fraser hit me up like, yo, it's 1500 bucks. Wants you to give us references. This is what we want to do for the new collection. Can you give 10 references for each category? And I remember, man, I was just like, I've been so interested. You know, I'm the guy that opened up the CD case and looked at who did the artwork. Who made the beats? Who did the marketing? So I was just like so excited. I remember I was like, remember I called my little one page right up was like a grown up culture kid and then gave all the references and then they loved it. They were like, yo, we're doing this Vans party at the Ace, new Ace Hotel in LA. Who should get DJ? And I'm like, yo, A-Side. Flew A-Side and me out. I help host the party. And that's the first gig we did with Stussy. And we've done gigs with them all around the world. So I started working, off of, working with them as like creative consultant, then became like events and music consultant. And now the position has grown. I do art direction, brand direction, marketing at large. Yeah. I work directly with Fraser and David and, and Jane and Israel and the amazing team there. And I've been working with them since like 2012. Was that kind of the moment where you started going, there's a job in here somewhere. There's like a way to get paid for my ideas in here. Yeah. I remember like, uh, I remember the last conversation I had with my mom. It was, it was like her birthday, December 12, 2014. And she was like, do you think if you went back to college, you could get a better position at Mark Jacobs? And I laughed and I said, mom, I think I figured something else out. I'm about to sign this consultancy contract with Stussy. I'm working with this guy named Frank Ocean. Me and A-Side are working with this guy, ASAP Rocky, you know, still doing stuff with Surge. And she didn't ask me about how much anything was paying because none of it was paying. Some of it was, I did pro bono and some of it wasn't, none of it was paying great, but it was great to get extra money on top of my Mark Jacobs salary. I'd never experienced having a, even a little superfluous amount of money before unless I like flipped something on eBay. And um, those are good moments. Yeah. She said, that's amazing. She said, I'm happy you've, I'm happy you've, you've figured out a way to work doing the things you've always loved. Yeah. You know, she like, she knows her son. Like she took me to buy my first rap record. She'd come, like you said, she knew where to find me. She knew I'd be at Mike's Comic Book Hut or Chameleon Comics. I wasn't at Mike's, I was at Chameleon because Chameleon had the arcade games, different arcade games than Mike's. So I'm playing arcade games, I'm buying comics, or I'm playing basketball, or 
I'm at the library too. I used to do a lot of hanging out in the library because, you know, library had comic books too. And also the books, just I always get books from there. And, you know, and she just know, like, she knows how much time I used to spend in Union. So she knows I come back and like, they look at this t-shirt they gave me or this thing. And yeah, just even the sneakers, you know, my sneakers are still in Queens. I remember my dad wouldn't throw them sneakers out. Mom was like, she was just like, don't throw them out because those are special to Trina. Yeah. Like they mean something. It's so special that she got to see you get on this path, hey? Yeah. After that conversation, she was gone in like a month. So apologies. I'm just emotional because it's mm-hmm. like going up to a death image. It sounds like you had a really incredible matriarch, you know? And it's it's cool because I hear you talk a lot in interviews about about women and you have always made championing for for rights and for visibility about women about lgbt like so i think that it's it's incredible because i'm sure a lot of that impact comes from her yeah man i just because i could never like drink my own juice to the point where i'm like i'm so great like i'm a product of things i've chosen but a lot of it's a lot of lucky rolls of the dice and also really you know like the nurturing of our parents really just you know to me sacrifice a woman that's going to say i'm going to just raise kids full-time take care of the house and manage the family full-time that's equivalent to sacrificing your life for someone you're a superhero yeah my dad always said that though he's always like you know your mom's the boss your mom do you say that your mom's a superhero she's the manager but just losing her so young 58 years old Oof. and then that conversation because the conversation we talk about a lot just seeing i've tried my best to show you guys the best way I could with no no education because I didn't I didn't get to go to college. I was like, yo mom, you're bugging like I travel the world and like people always ask me who your parents my parents are like I learned so much from you. So that's why it's just been like a at times maybe even a vendetta. Mm, yeah. <laughs> really represent for her, make it not in vain. But I've learned I've learned that really what makes it not in vain in her life in vain is not really how successful I get. But like how I treat people, treat the world, how I treat myself. So that's the best way I can honor. It's cool that all this, you know, this stuff that's defined as success. But I know my mom, she would be happy for me, but she wouldn't really care about any of that if I'm not a humane person. So that's, I've learned to let go of the the drive to, for success and like make her sacrifice before and really convert that to, Live in a like a healthy being as humane, like just having as much of humanity and compassion as I can. I'm learning, you know. I need to keep it all growing and stuff. So, yeah. So that's why it's like think about that girl every day. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And what what a great gift to be able to make kindness cool and impact cool and yeah. all of those lessons you learned and who who you became through growing up in that household, like taking that into your storytelling and fashion, you know, at various points, there's a level of, of exclusivity sometimes based on a lot of factors that are so out of your control. Yeah. And so creating brands and with, with that kind of ethos where people feel like they have a seat at the table yeah. is invaluable. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, I want to, as you know, tears grows, I want to be more inclusive in the stories I tell. For everyone and um, people I work with and yeah. hire. Yeah. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But to finish the, your original question, so then so then I'm doing all this stuff, I'm doing the Stacey stuff, doing the Frank stuff. A-side working a lot with Rocky. I'm in the studio there. We're starting getting some gigs couple paid gigs like we're still just local the local still but we're working with everyone that's not local but we're still kind of local but not you know and then things changed for mark jacobs as they do it eventually and like mark he left louis and then i think him and robert sold their like controlling interests in um mj for a bunch of bread and i was happy for them but then they did the new ceo came in and he like they did mass layoffs i think mainly because for retail Sales associate, stock person, door guy, got paid well. Mm. Got paid decent. Everyone got 12 pieces of clothing every season, two pairs of shoes. Didn't matter if you're a stock person or Robert and Mark were super stringent about this. Like, if you're a door guy, security guard, you get the same clothing allowance that Robert Duffy got. Damn. The same cashmere coat, same $1,000 shoes. You get door manager. When you sell, that's the first thing to go. They're like, we don't, we're not, we're not doing this culture thing that you've got going. Yeah, yeah, Glad yeah. that worked for y'all when you were building this brand. So they did, they did <laughs> mass layoffs and like everyone got laid off. It's funny. When I first got the job at Mark Jacobs, I cried. My last, my, like when Robert told me hi and I walked up to I knew it was going to change my life. I bust a tear and I don't really, nothing's wrong crying, but besides thinking about my mama, I don't really cry that much. I knew getting that job was going to change my life. Got laid off, got my service package. I remember that day I left, I think it was September 27, 2015. I ran out there because I knew I was just like, I didn't know, but I was just like, in my head, I was like, I'm never going back. I remember that. 
I remember that I I got laid off yeah. and I remember looking at a severance package and being like, this is the gasoline I need to get my own thing going. Yeah. I was like, cause I'm, you know, that's the same year my mom died, got laid off relationship stuff. Me and H broke up. That reminder of mortality too will do wonders for motivating you to get on your path. So back to mentor, a side and friend, mentor and friend, because a side, he's a bit older than me, like probably five years, six years older than me. He called me. He said, "Yo, Tremaine, we gotta put a name to this thing we do. Mm. That's how you market." He's like, "You can't can't be the Tremaine and a side. Like, it has to have a name." He's like, "I know you, like, man, I know you want to do a store or like a brand or something. We've talked about it for years." And I said, "Yo, let's call it No Vacancy Inn." Because we at that time, we've been traveling a bit. We're traveling a lot, traveling around the world, traveling around Europe, you know, the fashion weeks and stuff, Copenhagen and Fashion Week, Paris, Fashion Week, DJ and gig, getting 1500 bucks, 500 bucks, whatever. So let's call it No Vacancy Inn. And like, it's like, it's the hotel of our mind. Yeah. It's our two brains. And then like, all the people we know, the, this uh, gauntlet of people we know are the people who stay at the hotel. We'll do collaborations and work with people we know. And we made the logo with Sam Ross and Nicole Wall. He was Virgil's um, assistant at the time. And he used to design my club flyers. And me, him, and A-Side designed the No Vacancy Inn logo. And Sam also helped me design the, the first version of the Denim Tears logo. Remember, it was September 2015. Last year was five-year anniversary. Obviously, we didn't really celebrate it because of COVID. Yeah, we put that name, that logo Remember the first party we did under the No Vacancy Inn banner was of Guillaume, our friend, good friend Guillaume Bird from using Bromance at the time. Great DJ, amazing person. And um, from there, I remember, and I, it's like even so, it's quite nostalgic thinking about it. I remember that first time we got booked for like five gigs that totaled to like, I don't know, 20, like almost 30 grand. Yeah. And I remember just being like, yo, it's ha-, like, it's doable. Doable. And then we just, but it was out of, we put in a sweat equity, but you don't even know it, but we needed to brand it in a meaningful, soulful way to get people to be able to make a living off our sweat equity. Did you have any fears around failure at that point? Or were you like, let's just go? Dude, when my mom passed away, yeah, put those in the ground with her, man. Yeah. You know, it was gone. It was like, that was like the last, not the last, I'm still learning stuff about life. I'm living in a moment. I'm mindful. I'm learning, learning something every day about life. If I go a day and I don't learn something, because I'm not living in the moment. I'm not being mindful. Yeah, that's you know? on you. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, that was like threshold of like, and I guess that's when I was in vendetta mode. Like, nah, she's going to, wherever her energy went, she's going to feel what I'm doing. Yeah. So. Avenger style. <laughs> yeah, right. So, right? yeah, me and the A-side, just like, we just, it was crazy, man. We're on a flight every week, every other week. DJ and around the world. Then serendipity is like, when I was working with Frank, you know, Frank is his own creative director. And he had a dude he worked with that did creative direction for him. He had a small team. I was just like idea guy in the room and a friend. We became we became good friends. I was just idea guy. I was just a, you know, flying a wall. So Frank was just like, yo, I got this idea that about what art do you think someone would be good to make this? And I was like, yo, Tom Sachs. Mm. He's familiar with him. He's like, and so then Frank, in a way, Frank, in a way, he's a mentor too because I learned the skills that I do now. I learned from him asking me to do things that I've never been asked to do. Yeah. And then I learned I could do them. Yeah. To him, like, well, can you get me in contact with him? And I was like, how do I get in contact with Tom Sack? I'm like, oh, my mentor Serge knows everyone. 
sir, do you know Tom Sachs? Yeah, he's a good friend. They come, him and his wife come to Miss Louise all the time. And then Sir connects me to Tom. Tom's like, I love Frank Ocean, my favorite modern day artist. I connect them and they go off and do their thing. So one day I'm walking down the street, a couple years, um, blonde, blonde and endless still didn't come out yet. I'm walking down the street, late 2015, and I see Tom walking past Cafe Select. I was like, yo, Mr. Sachs, it's Tremaine from email. Yo, Tremaine, I want to thank you so much. I've had such, Frank's amazing. I've had such a great experience working with him. Come by the, come by the studio. I'm like, wow. Like my ex, Sadara, put me on Tom Sachs. I had no idea he was. I remember like in 2007, she took me to a show of his in the um, meatpacking district and I was blown away. I was in love with his art ever since then. You know, she was an art teacher too. In a way, she was a mentor. Very smart, amazing woman that she put me on as the Astor Gates. Learned so much from her about art. I go to his studio and he wasn't there. I was like, damn. I was like, yo, I left a note for him. And he emailed me and he's like, yo, Tremaine, sorry I missed you, but I'm doing this residency. I'm turning, I'm turning my studio into a bodega. And I'm having people doing residencies. Um, Eight Ball Collective's doing one. Virgil and Heron are doing one. Do you want to do one? And I was like, no, but No Vacancy does. And that was the first No Vacancy pop-up. I remember we like sold USB keychains. We sold my mom's red velvet cake because my mom has a very special red velvet cake recipe because I don't eat chocolate. Yeah. So she she has a different way she did it just for me because wow. I wish to blend the cake. So my little brother's the only one that knows the recipe. So we sold the cake there. We sold T-shirts, hoodies. That was our first pop-up with Tom Sachs. I couldn't fucking believe it, man. I was just like, you know, we flew out there. And, you know, we didn't sell out of everything, but it was dope. And I remember my man Ills, ASAP Ills, he showed up. I remember, you know, you remember all the people that show up when you first start, you know? Yeah. You know, people showed up. Frank showed up, bought some cake, bought, bought a, he bought the Heaven in Las Vegas hoodie. <laughs> uh, when someone's showing up not to get photographed, that stuff sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, I remember he was playing, um, I remember he was playing, we were in the back, he was playing stuff off, stuff off Endless. It was fun, man. We did it for two days. Tom was such, Tom and his whole team were such a great host. And Tom's been a friend ever since to me and A-Side. And then in the future, he booked us. We did another thing with him in the, Brooklyn Museum. We did another pop up with him in the Brooklyn Museum. That fucking guy is amazing, man. Because we were somebody's as human beings, but far as in this Instagram world, whatever, not known. Yeah. He had nothing to base on why I should do a residency there. I, I had put nothing out. Yeah. I never put out clothing. He didn't know what I did. It was like a vibe check. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, man. I mean, but even I even think about that. It's like, why did he ask? You know. Anyway, um, it was amazing. And then we just rolled from there, man. Like, Is this around the time you created the term Art Dad? Yeah, Art Dad was like, that's an oldie but goodie. That's like <laughs> 2016. Yeah, you know what? Art Dad was like, A-side kind of came, He came up with that because we went to the movie theaters. Because Virgil was hitting us like, yo, fly out to New York for the show for season three. When Pablo was dropping season three, the show at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just murked they, him. They murked it, pulled the thing off, playing ultralight beam, blah, 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 ox court at the garden. So we had to, we, we couldn't make it, couldn't afford to go out there on the whim. And we were sitting in a theater and Ye comes out, like got the beard, looks like he has a slept in days, long, just long sleeve t shirt and some sweats. And he walks out with Lamar Odom and, and A-Side was just like, 
art dad. <laughs> I mean, kind of like, that's like dad who's jiggy, but he's a dad. Like, you know, like I'm fresh, but it's like a mix of what I was wearing at home the last two days, but I still make it a drip. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't 0% forced or, you know, it's like. No, that's a man with responsibilities. Yeah. You just totally going, you getting fresh off intuition because you don't got time to sit and pose. Meticulously put together your, it's, yeah. A lot of the things start off as inside jokes. So we would say the art dad thing and then. Well, denim tears too, right? Yeah. Inside joke. And then I remember I just, one day I just started posting like Andre 2007, Glenn O'Brien and his son. So I was posting people I knew and didn't know. I was just like art dad, 2016, LLCC, art dad, LLCC. And then I remember Virgil did a group text to me in A-side. And this is part of his genius is like, he's like, yo, streets are spoken, man. Art, they want everyone wants to know what our dad is. And then we all start laughing about it. And then he's like, let's do the, let's do the no vacancy and off-white collab. Um, so that was our first collab with like a major fashion, you know, fashion brand, you know, the V gave us our first shot and we did two seasons. It was dope, man. You know, stuff got bought well at wholesale and yeah, it was sick. That was fun. So that's the Art Dad story. Amazing. <laughs> and then when when did Denim Tears start and how did that inside joke become a sort of metaphor about attrition and brand from there? That was, uh, it might have been 2016 too or 15. So V grew up, he DJed in college and then, you know, didn't really DJ for a while and he started DJing again, start to ascend and do his own thing, you know, from Pyrex. So it's funny, people didn't really respect him as a DJ then, but I saw I saw the interest from the kids and I also, more importantly, saw the interest from him. Mm. I saw the way he would pay attention when Benji B was DJing. I saw the questions he would ask A-side, you know, the text threads and songs being sent. I'm like, you know, I listen to interviews. Like he's been listening to Benji B for 10 years on BBC radio. I'm like, this guy gives a fuck. You know what I mean? Like more than I do. Yeah. So we did some parties. Like we did that party at Bodega after show party for Ye. Then we did an after party for Hood by Air at their thing. They did at Selfridges. And then this this dude named Seb Chu, legend, you know, legendary like DJ in London, mainly plays ground music and stuff. He was running this place called The Addition mm. Hotel. First mm-hmm. one was open in London, and they had this thing called the basement. I hit him like, "Yo, can we do a party with V?" And then we did it. And before that, they had a restaurant, Burners Tavern. We had a dinner. Same way we're all at the dinner, cracking jokes, blah blah blah. And then like, I used to just fucking around on Instagram. I just put up a picture. Let's say I put a picture of uh, whatever, something abstract in a way, and write selfie. So I was kind of trolling people who were doing selfies all the time, and then also be funny. And then um. One time I put up a picture of a pair of my 501-1950. Basically, I bought a pair of jeans when I first moved to London and wore them every day. They were ripped to shit. And the back pocket kind of looked like a heart. So I put up a picture and wrote selfie, right? So then me, Virgil, Benji B, Caius Pawson, and Sam Ross, A-side. Someone's like, yeah, and Tremaine with his selfies. They start cracking jokes on me. And then A-side's like, yeah, like the one with the, the denim, the ripped denim heart. And then Caius is like, yeah, the, the denim is denim was crying. I was like, yeah, denim tears. That sounds like a R&B band. And then V is kind of like, yeah, that's a fire name. So then the next day, V had a blog for um, style.com at the time, back when that still existed. And he write about his travels. And he was like, uh, yo, DJ the gig with a side of former Nike fame. Currently, he's in the band We Are Shining, Benji B, BBC Radio. 
Kai's Pawson of Young Turks fame and Denim Tears, parenthesis, Tremaine Emery of Mark Jacobs fame. And I was just like, the guy's a joker. And then <laughs> stuck. So it was just like, you know, just like a handle. So I just like, then I start putting that on flyers, you know, hosted by Denim Tears. How quickly did it become a, a fashion brand? It took years. Yeah. I didn't start putting out clothing until August 2019. Mm-hmm. I started putting out clothing. Before that, I only do it for charity. I do the charity stuff for my mom. Right. I did that under Den- Denim Tears. I did a t-shirt with my friends, Brendan Fowler and Callie. They had a brand called Somewhere. Yeah. Do a t-shirt with them and that's it. And then I did a t-shirt with online ceramics. And then I launched it during um, August 2019. And, you know, I've been rolling, rolling since then. But I launched it because I, Levi's had reached out to me to do something. I was like, oh, Denim Tears. I'm like, oh, it'd be a good way to launch my brand with a Levi's club. And kind of like inside joke, ironic, because it came from a Levi's pair of jeans. Rolled it out and then, you know, launched the Levi's collab in the beginning of 2020, two months before lockdown. And you were creating religious iconography and the cotton wreaths around that time. That- yeah, I've been working. Oh, I've been working on that stuff for years. Okay. Like that black, like the black Jesus yeah. thing, that is based off a sweatshirt that my man Vito held for me because I couldn't afford it at full price at Union 20 years ago. Because um, the brand called Sir that this guy Rush had, it's still around. Like remember when Rocky and ASAP were wearing to calm the fuck down? Yeah. You know? yep. That's the same brand. So they had this, it was really cool to me. Like they did a sweatshirt in M65s and you could buy the white Jesus or black Jesus. So I just thought that was like, oh, that's sick. And I remember I, always get such a reaction when I wore that sweatshirt, all kinds of reactions. And um, I never forgot it. And then I wanted to do my version of that with the cotton reef. So I created the cotton iconography, bunch of iconography. And then I also that summer, I'd start listening to the 1619 podcast that New York Times did about oh, yeah. okay. the beginning of slavery in America. Yeah. Because the first slave ship came on August 19th or 20th, 1619 to Point Comfort. Virginia. It was called the White Lion, the slave ship. And so I was like, I knew loads about it, but that podcast and those articles were just so in-depth and incredible. I already was talking about that story and it was so, it was crazy to me that like, I remember my um, guy who I do my graphics with, James, he's very, become a very good friend of mine. He's one of Cali's best friends and he's an amazing artist. Any graphics you see me do, me and him always, me and him do it together. And um, he he said, buddy, it's serendipity, man. Because I remember I was like, yo, James, it's so crazy. I'm creating all this iconography about slavery and lack of reparations and the DIY jeans. And the New York Times is doing this whole summer long thing about it. Sick initially, that was nuts. That like added on to the the thing of it. And then, yeah, it just rolled from, it rolled from there, man. Did my first art presentation in London during Freeze with um, Vinyl Factory and um, the showroom and the Asta Gates was kind enough to let me show, you know, art piece I made. Um, yeah, so Denim Chairs is like kind of really 2000, the name's been around for years, but as far as putting out stuff from two, 2019. Were you thinking really early on about smuggling meaning and important ideas into pop culture, kind of like through the Trojan horse of fashion? Yeah, man. It's, um. Yeah, I just, that that's what gets me off. I'm more of a, what's the word, barb? I had a friend tell me, she said, you would have been a barb if you lived in olden times. I'm like, what's a barb? She's like someone who tells stories. Mm, a bard. Bard, yeah. Yeah, Shakespeare style. Yeah, so I just find different 
modes of transportation for these stories. Currently, kids are really, and people are really, especially young people are really into clothing and fashion. And imagery is so powerful. You don't have to like hand someone a book. Exactly. And so I just, I find it satisfying and helps me sleep better at night, trying to be a bridge over the algorithm of, you know, like people are trying to feed you what they think you need to know because you're you're a Caucasian woman. Mm-hmm. You live in Canada, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's only certain things that should be your wheelhouse and only certain things that should be my wheelhouse or what I should care about because I'm from Jamaica, Queens and I'm this, you know? So I just try to be a bridge over that algorithm that social networks and media is feeding us mm-hmm. because I know 1619 podcast New York Times thing isn't maybe popping up on a 16-year-old kid that lives in Venice's um, algorithm. Yeah. But it's because he seen me in a paparazzi photo with Ye, or because he saw my name as a contributor in Frank's magazine, or because he heard A-Side DJ and he heard me emceeing. And I don't DJ, I MC. Whatever that has him following me, I can use that to get him or her, if they so choose, to maybe listen to the podcast about the origins of slavery and how it affects everyone that lives in America and the world today, mm-hmm. you know? Or get kid to come and learn about what women go through trying to have babies, all women of all colors, of all economic backgrounds, and how much people don't know about how many, so many women die from post and prenatal problems. So I've been working with um, Every Mother Counts. I've had great, it's wild, emotional, great experiences doing those those pop-ups, selling the t-shirts and the cake. And um, yeah, it's dope, you know, because it's like, for now, I don't know how much longer, but I have the attention of some young people and it's, I love it. I really get satisfaction out of, um, and I learn. I learn sometimes just as much from them. Speaking like I'm an old man, I'm not that old. <laughs> I know. I was gonna say, I'm like, you're not even forty yet. Yeah, I'm thirty nine. <laughs> so, but I just feel like the student teacher relationship should be interchangeable. Mm. Example, like at times, a side's a teacher. At times, I'm the teacher. Yeah. I teach my dad things. At times, he teaches me things. Yeah. You know, so the best relationships are um, symbiotic symbiotic student-teacher relationship. And it's like, you never know until you ask, because it's like, I don't know if anyone was like, yo, Levi's collab, let's do something about the history of slavery in America. Because they said yes to me. Right. You know, so you never know if you just ask what what you can get out there. What were you hoping that people would take from from your references to, to cotton and slavery? What was the conversation you wanted to start with that? The conversation I wanted to start was when you see the stats of um, you know African Americans, the jail rates, the education rates, so how much less they get paid, this, that, and a third. There's a systematic thing that started slavery to now, yeah. And some of these cycles are being played, and the white power structure plays a part in it, and the black power structure. I need to finish the book, but this um this is book by this uh, psychologist named Franz Fennin, and he he said. You know, whiteness is in us and blackness is in whites. If black people and white people are ever going to, until they recognize that, things can never get fixed. So mm-hmm. I wanted black people, white people, everyone to recognize the contributions. We came here in slave ships. We, we worked under these conditions. And actually, this country that we all love or don't love, you know, rock and roll, yeah. punk, hip hop, jazz, contemporary art movements, downtown New York, Joan Didion and and all of that, none of that would exist, the White House, none of it would exist if the slaves didn't pick the cotton, pick the indigo, do the rice, 
build the country, the money. That's what set America up. Mm. Talking about that and then also talking about the gaping leap behind that we had since we gained our freedom, the obstacles we've had to endure since then, and that it's never been totally addressed in a way that other cultural calamities that have happened to other other cultures and races. Well, race doesn't exist, so scientifically doesn't exist, but we've bought into it. Our designations. Of- yeah, designations. So, you know, there's been no rep- reparations, and it's more so than reparations, just like it's not properly taught in schools, it's not properly talked about, and it's still not represented. And yeah, just want that conversation to be known. And, you know, I'm not the first person to talk about it, but I'm just like, my favorite artists usually take left things and push them into the pop culture. As you said, push them into the pop culture realm. So that's what I like to do. That's what me and Asa like to do. Take left things and push it into the to the center. And that's something you've kept going with your Converse partnership. Your latest drop this month included a restock of those chucks you designed for them. And I, I want to read this from their website. If the chuck is the classic expression of American culture, does its meaning transform when it reflects the Black experience? This is more than a sneaker. It's designed by Tremaine Emery as a canvas for conversation. Awesome to get a brand like that. I mean, you're two years into designing clothing under denim tears. Like, yeah, it's almost like a really genius backdoor way of like scaling your ideas while maintaining the ethos of like a smaller, more agile brand. Like you get to scale these conversations instantly. You're hundred percent right. Like, cause unfortunately to the people I'm trying to reach, mm-hmm. the people who know, if I just put them out and made it myself, they'll respect it and like it as much. Yeah. But I live in the real world and I know kids see Converse, like, oh, Converse, sick. You flip the, you flip the stars and stripes with you know, and then it's like, right. I'm like, hey, I, actually, this is comes from Marcus Garvey and The Rock in Jamaica, Queens, Red, Black and Green Rock in Jamaica, Queens, and D- David Hammonds. And I'm, again, that's the bridge over the algorithm. And I'm using my position to get these things that maybe you've never been exposed to or you forgot about. Start up a conversation with Marcus Garvey about my neighborhood, about David Hammonds, about Black identity in America and where does that sit? You know, it's fun. And once again, it's kind of a hack, right? Because people are getting that validation through capitalism. Yeah. But you're infusing education into that. So at the end of the day, what people are getting out of it is probably more than they even realize, like at the point of purchase. Yeah. And even if they're just buying it because it looks cool, there's still a billboard for something meaningful. Yeah. That has soul. Yeah. I just want to recreate that feeling I had when I wore that black Jesus sweatshirt when I was a 20 years old, yeah. people being like, why are you wearing that? What's that about? Exactly. So I try to recreate that with every design I do through Denim Cheers. You posted a photo of the sneakers on Instagram saying you wouldn't allow the design to go to market if the company you were working with is only donating money. And I thought that was such a powerful thing because there's this cycle of brands donating with a yeah. fair amount of like beneficial publicity for them to anti-racist organizations and police reform movements. But too frequently, it's felt like throwing money at the problem doesn't really keep the conversation alive long enough to change policy. Exactly. How I mean, taking a stand like that when you're in such a, a large partnership, did it feel risky or did you feel like you had the support to be able to do that? Or what was that process like? I was just living, I was just living in the moment. Yeah. I have the best night's sleep when I live in the moment and I'm true to it. Yeah. And I have the worst night's sleep when I don't. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, exactly what you said. It's like, you know, my heart goes out to, you know, those families, George Floyd and Ahmad and Rihanna. 
But unfortunately, it's not the first time this has happened. What's the difference between Eric Gardner like six years earlier? Exactly. Exactly. I remember seeing like in my hood, like Nike paid for a tournament. Yeah. You know, there's Nike t-shirt. You know, have the Nike t-shirt tournament t-shirt, had Nike check on it, cool, or Converse. So I was just like, okay, you guys are doing, you donated however much. Really, you guys are giving, donating that money over the course of five or 10 years. So you guys are really doing 10 million a year, which really isn't anything for you guys. Because I know when Nike does a Jordan drop of tier one Jordan, they do, they release 500,000 pairs. You know, you make 10 million in one day. Well, and if, and if it's a tournament, it's like you're investing in your future roster of athletes. And that was the thing I wrote or what I said when I was on the call with them. I was just like, I want you guys to help out the kid that doesn't play basketball. It was just like, he's got ADD and his, um, his dad's not around. And his mom's working really hard and his school is fucked. Yeah. This kid, he's headed for trouble. Yeah. How we help that kid. Because that's, that's the systemic problem, right? He's not going to make you money later on. Yeah. So that was the whole thing with Converse and Nike and, um, Again, ask and sometimes you receive. Yeah. They never were like, why'd you do it that way? Or whether they felt that or not, they never, they didn't give me one iota of anything. It's like, we want to get more involved. I was, man, just happy to, you know, they suggested working with Hank Willis Thomas. That wasn't my idea. It doesn't matter, but it does matter. But just like, we got to play a part in helping swing this election, which was so close. Yeah, you diverted the marketing funds to, to produce a voting campaign. Yeah, yeah. I feel good about that. Country's <laughs> blue, baby. Let's hope it creates some real changes. I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Obama was in for eight years. Yeah, and he didn't, you know, I have money. You know, they're all politicians. It's just, yeah. you know, Trump was the most curt. So I hope, I hope Trump's four years forced politicians, all politicians to look in the mirror because I feel like Trump, who's horrible and he's Probably, I don't know what he's went through in his childhood to make him yeah. be the way he is. You know, it's got to, some fucked up shit must have been. That really is happened. such a compassionate statement. That he never dealt with to turn out that way, right? Yeah. But the thing about Trump is he sat at that correspondence dinner where they were making fun of him like six years ago. And Obama's making fun of him. They're all making fun of him, cracking jokes. And he said, you guys making fun of me. You guys are crooks too. You guys don't got a leg to stand on. Yeah. And I think he was just like, F these guys. Yeah. These guys, they think they're better than me. Like, you guys are crooks. I know what you guys get up to. You guys get lobbied, too, by the NRA. You know, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on. You know, like, ask a kid in Syria what they think of Obama. Their, their mom their mom got blown up by a drone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I even think of Obama, what they think of me. I'm American. Yeah. You know? And Trump's positive legacy is, is maybe that he, he, he made it cool to get political. Because a lot of us were not that political before Trump. And I was listening to a conversation you had about bringing politics into what you create. And it made me think how many times throughout my life I've heard someone say, let's not talk about politics. Let's not get political. And in retrospect, they were all white. And what a nice, comfy, privileged position to be in to white politics off the table in a discussion because it doesn't affect how you're paid, if your husband goes to jail, if your kid gets shot, like... Yeah, or if, like, yeah, you can get immigration papers, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, you're 100% right. And it's just, like, me and him disagree 
on our political views, me and Ye. Mm. Um, but the one thing he did say that no one, I don't think, listened to was when he was um, went on his tirade on the Pablo tour. He's like, oh, I didn't vote for Hillary. I didn't vote at all, but I would have voted for Trump. Everyone's like, yo, yeah. got crucified in the media. But the thing he said was, sometimes you need the worst thing to happen for things to change. So I hope the wrecking ball that Trump ran through the country, mm-hmm. I hope politicians are like, you know what? We set him up. We're the ones that set him up to get in office because the American public is so disillusioned that the kids on the left, like I know a girl, she was probably 24 when Trump got in office. She's 27 now. She's been going off about Trump and all that and vote for Biden. She didn't vote in that election. I have so many friends that didn't vote in that election. I was in arguments like for a straight month that year. Yeah. So the way all the everybody. Yeah. Way you guys were running it, red and blue. Yeah. The kids are disillusioned. Yeah. Little America's disillusioned. No one feels like it matters and it counts. They feel like it's all a scam. And there's no dialogue between the little super cool cultural moment that's happening in New York all the time and the middle of the country, which is completely disconnected. Yeah, it's a a total bubble for sure. The coasts are like a different world. Yeah. So I hope that Biden, Camilla, and whoever comes after them, and it's also part of the onus is on the people to keep the pressure on them. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, like, and that's why it's like, to me, the real heroes is like, People like Stacey Abrams, like Biden, cool, Camilla, cool. Stacey, someone that's someone that's no ego. That's someone who's like, I didn't get in as governor. I'm making a 10 year plan to turn the state blue. That's vision, right? That's people that we have to pay attention to people like that. I know it sounds like hokey pokey and hippy dippy, but she is one person and she's, she's actually like one of the most disenfranchised, you know. A, Woman of color, yeah. Woman in general, and so you're woman. You're disenfranchised, and if you're a woman of color, even more disenfranchised. Really, it should have been a white guy doing it. Why is a black woman or woman doing it? There's a white guy down there, and some men doing that, trying to turn the state blue. So, she's the icon. You know, she's yeah. the she's the she's the top of the totem pole for me and other people like her who are doing the work. There's a lot of people doing work in the shadows. So. Um, you know, Biden and Camilla, they owe her. Yeah. And all the people that voted. Yeah, that was a that was a close election. Dude. And that's that was the whole not to bring it back to my thing, but just like that was the me and Hank's campaign and, and for freedoms was like show people the power of the vote. And it's kind of like, you know, you like you said, you had this argument voting. It's like if voting didn't matter, they wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't be gerrymandered. Yeah, totally. They wouldn't try to throw out votes. Totally. If it didn't matter, it's really simple. They wouldn't try to, if it didn't matter, they wouldn't try to rig elections. They'd yeah. just be like, whatever. That's one of the few things that ain't rigged. Stock market, rigged. Art market, rigged. Mortgage, home market, rigged. <laughs> you trying to get in Hollywood, rigged. Yeah. Yeah, you've got this little tiny bit of control and you want to give that up? That's the one of the few things that isn't rigged. Yeah. It's almost like sports. Like, yo, the referees can fuck around and give Mike Jordan all the calls. But Mike still has to sink the shot. It's kind of like sports. Like there's a level of fairness there. Yeah. And it's very. It's democracy. Yeah. There's vignettes of fairness within this corrupt democracy, which mm. is the Western world. And there's vignettes of barring that off of Cornel West. He just says there's like vignettes of democracy within a democracy. Yeah. 
and that's one of them, the voting process. And uh, yeah, I mean, until the day I, my time's up, I would urge people to vote and until I can see that it's not fair anymore. But, mm-hmm. and it's just like, it's crazy, man. I mean, what happened in the Capitol? Fucking hell, man. It's just, um, you know what? But again, I hate, I hate that the people that have been terrorized and hurt verbally, physically, but I'm happy that people can see, you can't really say I'm sitting it out anymore. That, that was the impact. Yeah. Because if you sit it out, you sit out the Me Too minute. You're saying you're okay with whatever happens to your daughter or your mom or any women in general. You're okay with that. You're okay with what? You're okay with cops killing black people and profiling them. You know that's what it is now. So I hope that doesn't change. You know you're okay with you know LGBT people being treated, not having being treated as equals. You know and you know I'm watching Biden. I, you know I'm reading my New York Times and I see he's made it so transgender people can be in the military, which is amazing. I see the things getting, you know, even like Trump had this thing where they said 1619, all that work they done was BS and that um, there doesn't need to be any training for. Yeah. Anyway, Biden got it out of there. So, you know, the um, a lot of like drilling and stuff like that, he did it. So, you know, there's a theory that the first hundred days define the president. So mm. we're going to, See, a lot's riding on it, though, because, you know, people will get disenfranchised again. They don't actually see change. Yeah. But people got to understand that. You got to meet them halfway. That's a hard pull to swallow sometimes. I know. I know, because it shouldn't, you know, the government, we pay taxes and just, you know, right and wrong. Yeah. You shouldn't have to be pulling them to do the right thing. But capitalism, you know, it's a beast. And a big part of that, I think about it with social media all the time, because there's this this notion that in order for a capitalist society to run, you have to create a very deep feeling of lack within a populace so that you keep them consuming. Mm. Right. And and social media is just like the perfect weapon for that, because you're just co- constantly comparing yourself all day. Yep. And it makes you it makes you buy stuff. Yep. It makes you buy stuff and it makes you if you're not careful, you stop seeing the value of your life and the town you're from and the people you're from mm. and the heroes around you. Yeah. You only see Tremaine as a hero. Right. Because he, you know, he's on, he's at Paris Fashion Week. And yeah. He's still in front row at some show and it's like. And you're not seeing him like loading FedEx boxes. Exactly. Because that story, no one's really putting that story on. I want to put that story on. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I can't I can't really imagine growing up with social media. I'm lucky I did it. Yeah. And there's great things about it too because you know what? Man, there'd be a lot of bullshit like whatever in my DM and then somebody will write something or recommend a book or I don't know, man, like someone like, yo, I didn't know every mother's account. I can't afford the t-shirt, but I, I donated five bucks. And it, you know what I mean? It's something like that, like. Or if you're the kid who's not like anybody in your small town and you find someone on the other side of the world who inspires you to stay on track and be who you are. Yeah, like even like um, I went back to my old neighborhood and I showed this film I directed for the launch of the Converse. And this kid, this young black kid came up to me. He's like, yo, you from, you from, you from around here? I said, yeah, I grew up right on Keysville. I moved out of here like 2007 or eight. Mm. I love New York. I just say 2000. He's like, yo, that kid might have been in elementary school when I was running around, or, you know, or younger. And he was just like, 
shit, sick that you're from around here. And then he just walked off, you know? And it's just dope. It's just dope to go back and pay respects to a place that I learned a lot from. Yeah. And hopefully when COVID is over, I get to do more of that. I can't, that's what I can't wait. Besides just, you know, regular life stuff. But I want to, I want to take what I do and matriculate it with in places that don't get it. They don't, they don't, not, I don't want to say don't get it. Like don't, they do get it, but they don't get the attention. Exactly. Micro for macro. We had the big screen showing the film, DJ set up and we had a, food truck and people weren't lining up for it because they didn't know it was free because no one ever comes and does wow a pop party in the hood and give out free food like yeah. as far as like like converse let's say no one does that whereas if i pulled up and did a thing on fairfax or in, in downtown new york everyone knows the food's free because they've been to every other fashion party Every other thing, fashion, oh, Converse thing, yeah, it's free drinks and free free food. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, someone's, if you do something in downtown Manhattan or L.A. and there's anyone has to pay for anything, their jaw would dr- touch the floor. The people who can afford it are shocked. Yeah, they, they'd carry you a new one on Reddit, you know, in a, in a caption. So I want to get it to more places where people aren't used to getting a film show. Yeah. Used to get some free food. Used to getting some free sneakers. Used to hearing a, a panel talk used to seeing someone from the same place looks like them. And it's not about achieving what I have because this ain't for everyone. I hope that maybe someone gets into politics, maybe because of what I'm talking about, or someone, um, you know, is there for a woman when she's been violated or something or going through something, you know, a woman's having a kid and she has a miscarriage or something. And they read the, Every mother counts website, and they have more compassion and empathy for women that go through that. Yeah, just like uh, I hope people can communicate better. Yeah, the whole point of art is to contextualize the human condition. That's the whole point of art. It's exactly. like from cave paintings to a basket selling for 70 million, the art market put that money value on it. It's the same thing, it's contextualizing what it is to be human. Yeah, so. That's all I really aspire to do through um, contextualize the human experience. And currently, you know, I'm focused on contextualize it through the plight and joys of the black experience in America because they're, they're both, you know, symbiotic. Yeah. So and, you know, there's other stories I want to tell and get involved and tell and do, too. I mean, I do that with the Every Mother Counseling. That's about everybody. And actually, the stories I tell to tears about everyone, too, like I always got, you know, like, Remember, like, someone's like, yo, can an Asian kid wear these sneakers? I'm like, yeah, if you you empathize and connect to that, you can. I don't care what color you are. You know, this isn't. And that's the funny thing. I think that's what the white gaze is, is like, no one would say, like, yo, can I wear this T-shirt of Larry David? A black kid wouldn't, a black kid wouldn't ask, or Asian kid would be like, can I wear this Larry David? I'm not Jewish. I'm not white. And I wanted to get to the point where it's so comfortable and that means it's gone to a point of people have learned like, oh, yeah, I'm fucking uh, Asian kid and I'm wearing a T-shirt with Black Jesus with a cotton wreath. And, and he, because Tremaine's talking about they kind of use religion to get them to pick. As a means of control. Control. That's yeah. what he's saying with that. And yeah, and I think it looks dope too. And you don't feel weird about it. And that's the thing. There's such, there's such a wall between people. 
You know what I mean? The weight of the movement shouldn't fall on the shoulders of the oppressed alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my actually, it's like I love seeing like young and old black people wearing denim tears, but I also love seeing people of all races wearing it. My mom was looking at the hoodies last night and she wants one. Oh, sick. <laughs> I'll send you one. I'll send you one. <laughs> she could buy one. I need her to be like supporting the mission. What's your mom's name? Ruth. Ruth. Tell Ruth I said what's up. I will. Uh, thanks for sharing my stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that uh, that Kanye called you a creative gardener. And it's it's evident by oh, yeah. by talking to you how much more vastly you want your gardening to grow different things that aren't just about creativity but are about kindness are about taking care of each other as as a human race what are you excited about as far as how you're looking to influence in the future i'm excited about what i can learn that will help me influence so i'm just excited about i've read a book since august man I don't know. I got a bro. Like I got writer's block. I got reader's block. I'm excited about the next book I read, film I see, conversation I have. Yeah. Next time I hang out with A-Side, Brock, next time I hang out with Yaster, AJ, my man Kev, who's a plumber. Next time me and him talking on the phone, I'm excited about that because those conversations and those hangouts, that leads me to either gives me or leads me to the thing that then I then show the world. Yeah. I'm not creating anything out of thin air. I'm recontextualizing things that are already there. So that's what I'm excited about is what I've yet to learn. That dialogue. Yeah. That was the best. Yeah. That's where I get more mojo from talking shit. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it's been it. So I appreciate it. It's, um, it would have been nice to do this in person, but hopefully we'll have the opportunity. Yeah. Next time. Next time. Be safe. You too. Tell Ruth. What's up? Don't forget. I will. All right. I will. I won't forget. Take care. Have a great night. And that, beautiful people, concludes this episode of The Inspirati. I hope you picked up some inspiration to take into your day. Please rate, review, subscribe, and leave a comment if you're enjoying these conversations. You can follow The Inspirati on Instagram or find me at alex.merrill. Stay inspired and keep creating. The world needs it more than ever. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.